0: an Anglican and a Lutheran pastor. In 1944, toward the close of World War II, the Soviet Union occupied Romania and began to establish communism as its mode of government. Wurmbrand, not to be deterred, began a ministry to the Romanian, to his, his Romanian uh, countrymen and also a ministry to the Soviet soldiers. The government attempted to control the churches, and so they had to meet underground, so to speak, and so he began an an underground ministry to his people. He was arrested in February of 1948, four years later, while he was on his way to church services. He was imprisoned in a number of different penal facilities throughout uh, the uh, Uh, Western Soviet Union, what we now refer to as behind the Iron Curtain, and he spent three years in solitary confinement. His wife also was arrested in 1950, and she spent three years of penal labor on the canal that the Soviets were constructing along the Black Sea. Pastor Wormbrand was released in 1956 after eight and one half years of intercessory prayer and he was warned never to preach again. But being a good old hard-headed Christian, he began to preach again. And he was arrested in 1959, sentenced to 25 years of hard labor. In what we now know as the Gulag. During his imprisonment, he was beaten almost daily and tortured for preaching the Word of God. Eventually, as many believers continued to pray for his release. He was released and given amnesty in 1964, and he and his wife immigrated here to the United States in late 1964. In May of 1965, he testified before the U.S. Senate's Internal Security Subcommittee. He may have been the last preacher to do that. Hmm. He became known as the Voice of the Underground... And doing much to publicize the persecution of Christians in communist countries. In April of '67, the Wormbrands formed a Jesus to the Communist World. It later became and still is the Voice of the Martyrs. Their podcast today, The Voice of the Martyrs, which is an international organization that worked initially with and for persecuted Christians in communist countries, but today has expanded its ministry into the Muslim world. So much for stopping, pre- stopping his preaching. In 1990, Richard and Sabina, that's his wife's name, was his wife's name, Wurmbrand, they went back to Romania for the first time in 25 years. The Voice of the Martyrs opened a printing facility in a bookstore in Bucharest, and at 81 years of age, he began to pastor a church again in Bucharest. His best-known book is entitled Tortured for Christ. You may have read it. I think it's in our library. It's a great read. He was released in or oh, the book, rather, was released in 1967. His wife died in the year 2000, and he died about six months later at 92 years of age. From his book, Tortured for Christ, he wrote this. Hammer away, ye hostile hands, Your hammers break. God's anvil stands. Warmbrand was converted when he hyperheard the gospel. Talked about that over the past two or three weeks. And the gospel is truth that endures forever. Peter has just quoted that to us from Isaiah. So this morning as we begin to move into chapter 2, I want us to look at Why was he converted? Why many of us here this morning, and I hope and pray all of you are, have been, born again. Why you and I have been converted and not others. What makes the difference? First slide, if you would. Why doesn't everyone respond to the gospel? A question that, uh, it's a legitimate question but it's one I think we can answer as we move through the scripture this morning uh, let's go back a couple of slides one five three is what I'm looking for brother that's good thank you <clears throat> so we talked about how Peter bookends verse verses uh, 22 Actually, that should be 22 22 and 25. We are born again of incorruptible, abiding seed. That is the word which was preached to you. That's in verse 23. Turn with me briefly. We're not going to spend a lot of time this morning, but turn with me to Matthew 13. We've referenced this several times in the, um, in the exegesis of going through this particular um, passage of Scripture. Now, I would remind you of this. Peter was with the Lord when the Lord taught this. So no doubt when he talks about seed, and he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, he is recalling what Jesus himself taught in the parable of the soils. And verse 3 says, Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying... Now chapter 13 has a number of parables, but Jesus begins with the parable of the sower. A sower goes out to sow. And he sowed, and some soil fell by the wayside. The birds came and devoured it. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And Peter, of course, quotes that in, uh, uh, from Isaiah 40. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And the disciples are scratching their head. What does this mean? Can you explain this to us? Why do you speak in parables? Why can't you just speak plainly? And actually the parable, Jesus' parables are plain speaking. That's important to Remember? Just because we read it and don't understand it doesn't mean it wasn't plain. Especially when he himself taught. Look at verse 14. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear, and shall not understand. There's a general call of the gospel. And that call, we'll learn this in, in 2 Peter chapter 3. That call is, goes out to everyone, but the general call doesn't save. The general call is the work of the Spirit of God to warn us about the wrath that is to come. There then is an effective call, and we'll see that as we, uh, we're going to look at a couple of verses this morning that speak about the effectiveness of, of the gospel. And all of us should hear the general call of the external preaching of the gospel. Some of you here this morning perhaps are listening to the, the general call, or maybe you're tuned in or whatever, and you, you hear that general call. What changed Wormbrand's life and his wife's life? Not just hearing the gospel, but responding to it. He was summoned by the Spirit of God and was graced with hyper-hearing, and that's what Jesus is teaching here. Um, look at verse 15, for the hearts of this people have grown dull. Sometimes, Mike was teaching this morning, we're in Ezekiel chapter 40, and Gordon has spent a great deal of time in chapters 38 and 39. None of these closing chapters of the book of Ezekiel are are easy. And so Mike was teaching this morning, he I read about halfway through Ezekiel 40 and he said, you know, this, this sounds boring. And to many, many people, the general call of the gospel sounds boring and they just don't believe, it's, it's the whatever. Okay, all right, I've heard, I've heard this thousands of times, especially in our country. And Jesus says, your hearts have grown dull Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes are blinded. Lest they should. And that's the emphasis. Jesus said, yeah, you should. That's your responsibility. Yes, you should. See with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should. Yes, you should. Understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. And then he says, Blessed are your eyes, for they have seen, and your ears, for they hear. For surely I say to you, there have been many prophets, many prophets, and righteous men that have desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear And did not hear, and then he goes on to explain the parable of the sword. And I'm not going to spend any time on that this morning, but this afternoon, it would be good for you just to pick up in on verse 14 and verse 14 and read through that. There is Jesus focuses on the reasons that people do not respond to the general call of the gospel, and notice if you would in the latter part of verse 21. He says, for when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they stumble. Now, let's think about this for a moment. Some are graced with hyperhearing. That's the effective call of God's triumphant word of creation. In John 11, Jesus is at the tomb of Lazarus. We know the story, the last major miracle that he performed. And he tells everyone to roll away the stone, which is in comparison, the stone was rolled away when Jesus was resurrected by the angels. But now Jesus commands that the stone be rolled away. And there's all sorts of... uh, He he stinks, Lord. We we shouldn't do that. That doesn't deter Jesus at all. Roll him away. Roll it away. And then he says, Lazarus, come forth. What God commands happens. Now, he's in grave clothes. He stands somehow... Wiggles his way toward Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Loose him and let him go. The call of God, which is the preaching of the word, creates what it commands. It did so in Wormbrand's life. In his wife's life. In this individual that led him to the Lord, Christian Wolfsk. I could call your names this morning. The Word of God commands, and when that command is given, it creates new life. We're not waiting for something to happen. God does this. Now there's a difference between the external general call of those who hear the gospel preached and the eternal effective. Call. Something must happen here, not here. Here. Many profess to have heard the gospel and profess Jesus, but it's here, not here. The eternal call is the Holy Spirit's self determining, creative, persistent voice. He's been called the holy hound of heaven. And when the holy hound of heaven gets a hold of your heart, it does not matter where you go. And that's a good thing. It creates what it commands. Peter heard Jesus teach this. He saw it in action. It happened in his life. I trust that it's happened in your life this morning. You see, it's not just a general call, and God's not just speaking to the ear and the mind because it's often ignored. Eh, look at the time. Preacher's going too long. I'm hungry. I got this I got to do. I got this I got I to call. And all sorts of distractions because the general call does not save. Something must happen. And God the Spirit speaks to hearts. And when God's Spirit speaks to hearts, we're given to hyper hearing. Thank God for his creative, persistent voice. And he's doing that this morning. Next slide, if you would. You can go back now to 1 Peter. We'll go briefly to 1 Thessalonians in a moment, then look at some verses in 1 and 2 Peter. The seed is implanted into the hearts, to the eyes rather, of the blind heart. Jesus talked about hearts being blind, eyes being blind, ears being deaf hearts being dull. And he spe- the seed is implanted into the ears of the deaf heart, the eyes of the heart, the ears of the heart, and causes Christ to appear as God the Son and the Lord of all, bringing us to faith. We believe because the Spirit has brought us to faith and convinced us of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what God does when he calls us in the gospel. Look at verse nine of chapter two. But you are a chosen generation. There is something effective in you. Your chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And notice what he says. You at one time were not a people. Something had to happen. But you are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now obtain mercy. Look at chapter 5 and verse 10. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you, to him, this is one of the last oxologies in 1 Peter, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Now turn with me briefly, I've used this a number of times, First Thessalonians Let's go back a couple of books there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. <clears throat> and verse 13. What makes the difference? What makes the difference? Verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 2. For this reason. We also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, you were summonsed, and you received the summons, and you responded. When you received the word of God which you heard from us, how did they hear? Because the gospel was preached unto them, and they responded. You welcomed it not as the word of men. Well, the Bible just written by men. You can't trust the Bible, although we, we, we pour all of our hearts and minds into science books, and we have learned over the past two or three years that science is in flux, which it always is, always has been. But all oh, this is the science. Well, this is the science of the work of God, which you received, and you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God. Now, follow this, which also effectively works in you that believe. There is an effect, not an affect, an effect of the gospel to hearts that respond to the Spirit of God. And it changes. And that's what God does when he calls us to the gospel. R.C. Sproul wrote this. Commenting on the latter part of chapter one, he says, we are like the grass that when the arid weather comes, it withers. Jesus talked about it in Matthew 13. We're like the flower that blooms with its glory and beauty, but wilts and withers away. But he writes, how unlike the word of the Lord, which endures forever. You want change in your life? If you're born again, you will want and desire change. In fact, he talks about it in verse 2. Desiring the sincere, the holy, the pure milk of God. Now, in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2, Peter takes all of this that he's been talking about in the latter part of chapter 1, and he says, okay, therefore, we have reminded you time and time again that when you see the word therefore, you need to look and see why it's therefore. The word so, S-O, can also be used in place of therefore. Paul would use this quite often. In fact, we were Reading this morning, uh, quoting from uh, Romans chapter 12, and we understand that uh, in Romans 12, 1, it says, therefore, because of everything that you've learned in the first 11 chapters, this is how you ought to live. You don't just get to make up your own mind and do your own thing. You're not a lone wolf. You're part and parcel of the people of God. We just read that in the latter part of chapter 2, first Peter. You're not here to do your own thing. Rampant individualism is killing the church. We are here, therefore, to put aside five sins. The evils from which we are converted do not contribute to the sincere love of the brethren, or loving with a fervent heart. So if we harbor notice in verse 1, he uses the word all, A-double-L, three times. Put away all malice. Well, it's just a little pit part of me, you know. I got put away all malice. He says all deceit. Hypocrisy. Envy and all evil speaking. Now this harkens back to verse twenty-two. We just saw that. We read that at the beginning when we started uh, in in your hearing this morning. Next slide, if you would, brother. <clears throat> so when he when we go back to verse twenty-two and he says, "Okay, I want you need to to love the brethren sincerely, and you need to love one another fervently." sincerely and fervently. There needs to be a passion in your love, and there needs to be an honesty in your love. Passion, fervent passion, honesty, sincere love. And he said, these will not be accomplished if you harbor general evil in your heart. And he said, oh, by the way, the word of the Lord, which endures forever, is written, is given to you, is preached to you in order to remove these sins. Something must occur within a sinner's heart to remove all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 19. Again, did you think that we excuse ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ, but we do all things, beloved, for your edification. We're here to teach. We're here to preach. We're here to impart the word of God so that you may learn. We're here so that we may preach the word of God so that you may change. For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish, lest there be any contentions. And then Paul lists some similar sins that Peter lists. Lest there be any contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whispering conceits, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned. Now this is a church he's writing to. Who have sinned. have sinned before. They've not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they had practiced. So, this is a continuing theme in the New Testament. The Word of God saves us. It is effective in our life. And we cannot say that these sins all list here, go back now to 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter lists there in verse 1. We cannot say, I, these, uh, I can't control these sins, I, it's just the way I am. We can't say that. When we say that, we are saying that the Word of God has no effect in my life. So, verse 22, he talks about the brethren. Says, we are to love them uh, sincerely. We are to love them honestly. We are to love them with fervent passion. And we are to do this because all human beings are made in the image of God. Now, he's talking primarily here to believers, to those that are scattered abroad primarily and so what Peter is saying as Paul said there in 2nd Corinthians chapter 12 what Peter is saying is this we cannot say that we love God and then disparage believers made in the image of God the imago Dei that's contradictory and so when this disparaging, when this malice, when this hypocrisy, when this deceit, when this, when this envy, when this evil speaking continues in our life, it is an indication that the word has not been effective in our life. And then we need to say, oh, why isn't it effective? Perhaps I just responded to the general call. Verse Peter 2 starts with, therefore, laying aside, and we're going to look at this in just a moment, the word usually it's found 11 times in the New Testament. And it's it's one of those, uh, it's it's like uh, fornication. It's one of those words where you just lump all sorts of sins into it. So it's a reference to general evil. And Let's look at a couple of these because it's it's important that we understand the thing that I want you to remember from this point. The word has morphed in our English language. Malice to malignity to malignancy. I think we all understand malignancy. And so he begins with malice because it's the root cause of the other four sins that follow. Let's go to Romans 1 just for a moment. We tend to always go back to Romans 1 because it's a great list. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness. Okay, Peter says here in verse 2, put these things aside. Take off these old filthy clothes. We'll see that in just a moment. But Paul says there are those that are filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. Notice what he says, full of envy, full of deceit. of strife. These are whisperers, evil speaking people, backbiters, haters of God. So all these sins that are lumped in, Paul would mention them again, very similar, in Galatians chapter 5. All of these things that we see that Peter's writing, Paul is also writing as well. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes again to the church at Ephesus. There are those over those 2,000 years ago, just as there are today, that say, okay, well, I profess Christ, but I really don't need to have this type of change in my life. Well, that's, again, that's not Paul and Peter were writing to show you that you do. That I do. I do need to have this change in my life. Verse 31, chapter 4, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice. And then it says, be ye kind one to another. How many times have you told your children or grandchildren that? And be ye kind one to another. And we should, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then Titus chapter three, we were there last Last Sunday, briefly, if we go to Titus chapter 3, and in verse 3, actually verse 1, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves, Paul includes himself, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, and envy hateful and hating one another these are not earmarks of a godly church of a holy church of a godly individual man or woman of a holy individual man or woman and the word malicious there and not only here and Titus 3 and Ephesians 4 and Romans chapter 1, but in the first verse of chapter 2, 1 Peter, is a desire to harm or injure another. I listened to a portion, and I, and I say this with all humility this, this morning because it bothers me. I listened to a portion of our president's speech this week from Freedom Hall in Philadelphia. I remember the words, it wasn't there, but I remember the words, and we should remember the words of our 15th president, Abraham Lincoln, in his second inaugural, inaugural address just days before he was assassinated. Lincoln said, with malice toward none and charity for all. Our leaders have a responsibility to unite us, and it matters not whether they agree. With the opposite side or not. Doesn't matter. Philosophies may be different. Doesn't matter. With malice toward none. And charity for all. And any individual, man or woman, that disparages half or more of the population of the United States is sinning. And this applies for any and all presidents of the United States. Now, I'm a pastor. I can say that. With malice toward none... And charity for all. When you place your head on the pillow this evening, pray for the leaders of this country. Pray at the federal level, the state level, the local level. Pray for them because it's obvious that in some cases they have no clue that's what unites people that applies to churches it applies to schools it applies to organizations it applies to businesses God help us. Laying aside all malice. Peter describes here a person that is undressing. And then they will place their garments on the side. Literally, the phrase means you to strip off your filthy clothing. All of us have worked, sweated, became dirty, and get home and cut grass, trim grass, so forth. Robbie a lot of times will tell me, take take your shirt off, take your shoes off, do all this before you come in the house. My mother especially was was uh adamant about about that. We had a water hydrant that sat outside the, the back door and we would be cutting wood or working in the garden, whatever, whatever dad wanted to use us for because we were slave labor, and that's okay. We would come and mom say, hey, go down here to the hydrant, turn the water on, and wash as well as you can before you come in the house. That's what Peter's saying. Strip off your filthy clothes. It should not have any malice. It shouldn't have any deceit, any hypocrisy, any envy, any evil speaking. That shouldn't be spoken of. You can't say that you love honestly, and you can't say that you love passionately if you have these. Get rid of the filth in your life. And this applies to me. And it applies to you. Peter says we take the filthy clothes of malice out of our soul. And how is that done? The word of God. We throw them away. And we leave those filthy clothes alone. We don't go back and put them on. We don't wash them and put them on. We leave them alone. And sometimes in my life, I don't do that. I like wallowing again. Sometimes that's what we do. Next slide, if you would, brother. <clears throat> now, before we can desire or crave positively, and that's what he says in verse 2, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, and we'll address that. We won't get there this morning. We'll address it at the next appropriate time. Before we can desire or crave positively, we've got to deal with the negative thing, the negative sins in our life. We've got to unload them. We've got to strip them off, and we can't pick them up again. Now, early Christian baptisms, often when a person was converted from their sin, in, in Peter's day, James Day, so forth, um, this attitude was reflected. Folk would were baptized in their old clothes. And once they were baptized, once they came up out of the water and they made their way out of the water, they were then given new robes, clean, white robes. To symbolize that we've stripped off filthy garments of sin and we've put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 13 14 says that. Put ye on, put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Now, obviously, as believers, the sins from our own life remain. We, are, we have this unique position in this mortal life where we've been born again, we've been changed, and nature is new, but we still can be captive to a number of sins. You can't read the Bible without understanding that. And these sins need to be dealt with If they're not dealt with, if these are not laid aside, then it robs us of our spiritual appetite. And what he says in verse 2 won't happen with the effectiveness that we read early on in the message because we're still trying to hold on to those things in the past. They will dull, and that's what Jesus said. Your hearts have gotten dull. They will dull the desire for the word. James said, when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin, sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Sin kills. No way around it. Sin kills. And the word of God cleans and gives gift." Of eternal life, let me finish these words, and we 'll close next slide, and I want to do this because I want to move into verse two. <clears throat> five sentences they begin with with malice, general evil. he talks about deceit or guile, as I think the old King James version. He talks about hypocrisy, envy, evil speaking, and evil speaking is just slander this completes peter's focus and each one of these is an example of malice it's an example of of doing something to harm another person whom we claim to be made in the image of god deceitfulness is born of malice a definite attempt to distort to hide to undermine the truth it's done intentionally Interesting, interestingly enough, the word that is used there can also be translated decoy. Old English was guile. And the decoy was bait on a fish hook. Now we bait fish hooks, number way, could be artificial, could be could be live bait, whatever. But to us we use it to catch the fish so that we might eat it. It's not very promising to the fish, is it? We are deceiving them. That's what Peter's saying. And Peter was a fisherman. Through the nets, I'm sure at some point he used, he used uh, uh, perhaps hooks or spears or whatever. It's the treachery of this act. And Paul would talk about this in Acts 13, talking about uh, Elamus, the sorcerer. He said, you are full of all deceit and fraud. The word hypocrisy, something that we fabricate, something that we, we live up uh, or that we want to live up to. Okay? And all you <laughs> have to say hypocrisy is spend some time on social media. It's a mask, it's phoniness, it's a facade, it's not genuine. Paul, uh, Peter says these things we have put aside. Envy is desiring what others have. It is the resentment of someone's assumed better situation in life or possessions. And it will lead to bitterness. It leads to hatred. It leads to conflict. It is. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, it says, neither were they thankful. Envy is the opposite of thankfulness. I'm not thankful for what God has given me, for the station of life that the Lord has placed me in. One more slide and with this we'll close. Envy will produce slander. speaking against and Peter says get rid of all malice get rid of all guile get rid of all slander now I'll come back to this other portion the next message because this takes some explaining but look at the very last bullet here Augustine in his writing about this particular passage said this and you need to know who Augustine is. He lived around 400 A.D. He was a libertine. He pretty much lived exactly the way he wanted to. He cohabitated with women. He had ch- children out of wedlock until he heard the preaching of Ambrose. And it changed him. And Augustine wrote this. Malice delights in another's hurt. Envy pines at another's good. Guile imparts duplicity to the heart. Hypocrisy, Peter's using as, as flattery here, imparts duplicity to the tongue. And evil speaking wounds the character of another. These things, beloved should not abide in our life. They are given, the word of God was given to us so that the work of Jesus Christ would help us take off these filthy garments. We're born again, born anew, and put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have called us to preach the unadulterated word. And we thank you, Father, that, that uh, the word never returns void. It always accomplishes what you intend for it to accomplish. I pray that over these next few moments that you would move in our hearts if there are those here that are unsaved. My prayer is that they too would repent of these sins in their life And remember that the repentance of these sins is had in Jesus Christ and his forgiveness is shed blood on the cross of Calvary that removes our sin. I pray for believers. Yes, we struggle with these. And I pray, Father, that you would forgive us and that you would fill us with your spirit, that through the word that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and we would put aside these filthy garments. These things we pray in the name that is above each and every name, Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And so we're going to sing this morning a closing hymn. And if you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, we cannot save you. But the good news is There is one that can save you. And not only can he save, but he will save. And what the word commands, it performs. As we sing this morning, we will give you an opportunity if you're here today and you do not know the Lord as Savior, you need to make that right today. That's the summons and trust the Lord Jesus today. And we can take you to a private prayer room and lead you to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the general call will become effective in your life. If you're here today as a child of God, the Lord, you know, you know the Lord is Savior, perhaps you need to follow the Lord and believe His baptism, we extend that to you. Uh, and if you desire to unite with Flat Creek, a statement of faith, transfer of letter, whatever that may be, we encourage you to do that as well uh, this morning. As a believer, Peter is bracketing what he's been writing with all of these things. Put these things aside, and then you, your desire for the word will improve, it will increase. And that's important. What number, Brother Mike? 297. 297 if the Lord's spoken, won't you come as we stand and sing?